Psalm 44. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out the nations. But them you planted, you afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arms save them. But your right hand and your arm in the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the event. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from you. And yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. For if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God. Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we have been killed all the day long and regarded as sheep for slaughter. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust and our body clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Raven. Um, good morning, Providence. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Daniel, and I get the privilege of serving here on staff as one of the college directors. And this morning, it is my joy to open and preach God's word to you. As uh, Raven just recited, we're going to be working our way through Psalm 44. And with that, let me pray. Oh, Lord, many distractions in our minds we don't, everyone's coming in here in a different place, Lord, with things that have happened this past week, with joys and lows. And Lord, I pray that all of them today, we could set aside and worship you through your word. I pray that your spirit would reveal to us uh, what we need to hear and what we need to get from this passage. Lord, that you would be with me as I am a vessel for your word. Would you help me to get out of the way? Would you help me to preach truthfully that which you have for us. In your name, 
Amen. So this morning, my goal is to call us as a people to let God's past faithfulness shape how we live, especially in times of suffering. As the theme has been the last few weeks, Psalm 44 is another psalm of crying out to God. And, and church, as we have said, and as you've heard, uh, the, the reason the psalms are so helpful is that they give words and to what we're feeling. This psalm especially gives us a category for remembering and praising God for what he has done and also to cry out to him from a place of despair. And unlike the past few psalms we have looked at, today's psalm uses a lot of we language as opposed to me or I language, indicating that the psalmist is speaking on behalf of the people of Israel and not just himself. Church, today we have reason to celebrate the things God has done, but we also have reason to cry out to him for him to move, which is what we will see today. And with that in mind, the three truths we're going to look at are we have a present hope because God has been faithful, suffering is real, and we remain faithful because God gives us a future hope. We have a present hope because God has been faithful, suffering is real, and we remain faithful because God gives us a future hope. All right, truth number one, we have a present hope because God has been faithful. Luckily, this psalm is pretty straightforward in its breakdown, so we'll start by doing verses one through eight. To the choir master of Maskil of the sons of Korah, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but then you plant with but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever." This psalm begins by giving praise to God for the things that he had done for the people of Israel. There's a command and a theme throughout scripture to remember that which God had done. And, and here they're telling God that they remember. They remember what he had done. And it can be easy to read past this and, and to not actually stop and think, what are the things that they're talking about? What did God actually do? So let's actually take time to recount some of these things. If we go back to Exodus, we see that the people of Israel are enslaved to Egypt and they're in, uh, in slavery and what do they do to get free? Nothing, right? God puts plagues on the land in Egypt, puts plagues on the people, and then ultimately leads Pharaoh to letting them go. So the Israelites are freed by, not by their own hand and then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, wait, wait, I actually changed my mind. I'm gonna chase after them. So the Israelites leave and they're running away from the Egyptians and they come upon a stumbling block. That in front of them is a massive body of water called the Red Sea. Behind them, the Egyptian army is coming for them and in front of them, we see the Red Sea. A, a, 
And in this, I, I don't really have context. I've never been how big it is. And so I, I spent some time looking it up. It, it is massive. Like at some parts, it's a mile deep. It's uh, narrowest, it's like eight miles wide. At its widest, it's much wider than that. So you could not see across this body of water. It is massive. So it is seemingly unsur- insurmountable thing that is in front of them for them to be able to get free. And what does God do? Again and again, he shows up. He parts the Red Sea, not just so that they could cross, trudging through some mud, but they crossed on dry ground. I don't know if y'all have ever been to the bottom of a lake or if you've ever been, the the bottom is not dry. Like it's wet, right? So God does this thing and he saves them, right? What What did the Israelites do? They did nothing but complain to Moses, why did you bring us out here? That's all they did. God did that. What else did God do in the days of old? He led them into the promised land, right? He promised them a land that would be theirs. He leads them in there and and there were enemy nations. And what did God do? He helped them to overthrow those people. At times with an incredibly small army, at other times they had this brilliant strategy to walk around the city and to play music. Right? Like we, we see these, these things, these strategic, not really, things that they did that ultimately point to what God was doing. Right? We see the walls of Jericho fall down by God's power, not by man's might. Time and time again, this is what they're talking about. This is what the psalmist is saying. He is reflecting and remembering the things in which God had done. And in the Old Testament, in in the, regard to remembering the things that God had done, they would uh, actually build altars of remembrance where they would take stones and they would put them on top of each other to signify something that happened in that place. So that when they came back and they saw that altar, they would remember what God had done there. And in our lives, I would argue we should do the same. In verse eight, the psalmist says, in God, we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Some of the things that he's praising God for happened generations ago, long time ago, but he is still boasting in what God had done and giving thanks to him. God deserves continual praise for the things that he has done, even though at times we might not have been there to see it. Providence, is this our mindset? Or are we quick to forget what God has done in our midst? Do we move past the amazing ways God has moved? We can't. Do we know church history? Do we know how the saints of old were dying to hold fast to the faith so it could actually pass it on to the next generation to preserve it for us to have today? Or do we even know the history of our personal local church? How often do we so quickly move past the things that God has done for us, even here in our small local congregation? So for a moment, let's take inventory of some of the things that God has done and the ways that he has moved in our church in the past five years. Since the beginning, uh, one of the things that he has done is he's provided financially. Right? We have seen time and time again where we, we needed tens of thousands of dollars to come in in a matter of days and every single time God has provided. There have been, there have been times right, where 
since because we're a mobile church, we didn't know where we were going to meet, right? Well, we had located, we met at the Pella, and then we've met here, but randomly there would be a Sunday where, hey, actually you can't meet here. And we maybe didn't know where we were going to meet, but every single time God has provided a place for us to gather, right? That is worth noting and celebrating and praising him for. For every single worship night, for every single PC3 gathering, for every single corporate Sunday worship gathering, we have had a place to gather. During COVID, we were asked to be, uh, when COVID was kind of coming to an end in 20, well, end-ish, uh, in 2020, and uh, we, were, we were being asked to be out of City Light by the fall, we had no clue where we were going to go. City Light said, hey, we need our space back in the evening, and, and they were generous to provide that space, but we're looking, and we don't know where we're going to go. And a month before we needed to be out of there, the Thompson, where we're sitting right now, the Thompson Alumni Center reopened, and we were able to meet here. If we just think that's some coincidence, if we think that that's not the hand of God, we are foolish. Another thing that God has done is he has always provided us with the staff we needed at the right times. If you guys don't know, the week we launched, the kids director felt called in a different direction. So the day after um, the public launch of Providence Church, the kids director stepped down. And then God immediately raised up another person in Andrea, uh, some of you guys know her, to step in as the kids director. And then when she was feeling called into something else, God provided Sydney, high camp, to take her place seamlessly every time God has provided. When Gabe, our former musical worship leader, felt called to something else, God had been working in the Sarmiento's heart to lead them, realizing that they thought there was something new for them coming, and then God provided Steve to come lead us in musical worship. In times where there has been a transition in the college ministry, transition in leadership, God has provided the, the people, the staff that we needed at the right times. Every single time, God has provided. And let's not forget about the salvations we've seen, right? Church, God has been saving people here. Think about this, like this year, some of you guys don't know this, this year, God saved more college students than we had when Jake and I started after COVID had uh, drained the ministry, after COVID had shrunk the ministry. We had 10 students when Jake and I started because COVID had shrunk the ministry. And this year we had like 19 students surrendered their life to Christ. Like that is worth celebrating. God is moving. And that comes after a time when the elders were really considering, man, Lord, what do you want us to do with the college ministry? COVID kind of hindered the ministry. We see a shrinking ministry. There's only 10 students. What do we do with this? So they honestly sat before the Lord praying, God, what do you want us to do with this? Do you want us to bring on two full-time staff when we have 10 students? And after praying and pleading with the Lord, they said, okay, that doesn't make any sense, right? To bring on two full-time staff when you have 10 people in a ministry, it does not make sense. But God knew what he was doing and he moved every single step of the way. We have seen marriages restored. We have seen people freed from addiction. We have seen people find community when they needed it. We have seen a surge in young adults not only attend Providence, but become key volunteers and go all in to being a part of the church in a culture that discourages commitment. Y'all, we, we saw someone in this church be a match for and give his kidney to our pastor. These things don't happen if God isn't present and he isn't moving. 
We must praise him continually for the things that he has done. We must praise him for the fact that he's bringing international students from all over the world here to hear the gospel, to be welcomed into the homes of people who are in our congregation. We can't just move past these things and leave it in the past. We need to remember. And in our lives, we need to have altars of remembrance where we look back and praise God for the things that he has done, lest we forget his faithfulness. These things warrant praise. Maybe you haven't been here the whole time the church has been planted. Most of us haven't. But this is a part of your story if you're a part of this church. We must take inventory of the things that he has done in our corporate body and the things that he has done in our lives personally, just as the people in this psalm do. But we also have the reality that not everything is sunshine and rainbows, which leads me to my next point. Suffering is real. I thought about titling this idea, sometimes life sucks, but felt like maybe that wasn't the most professional way to word it. But um, we'll dig in verse nine. Suffering is real, verse nine. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All the, all the day long, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of my enemy and the avenger. The psalmist, right? He just got done talking about praising God for the things that he had done and then seems to have this massive shift in thinking. He begins to paint a picture that God is not near them and that he is letting them suffer. He says that God had rejected them, disgraced them, made them like sheep for slaughter, that they are the laughing stock of neighboring nations. They are disgraced, they are taunted, and their enemies are overcoming them. The psalmist, right, if you remember, he just got done saying all these amazing things. How could it be that he had such a massive shift in thinking? It goes from a hope-filled confidence in God to cries of suffering because God had abandoned them. The people of Israel remember what God had done, but that seemed like a distant memory in the moment because life as they knew it then was marked by suffering. God's hand seemed to have been removed from them as they were losing the battles that God was calling them into that they thought they should have been winning. God had promised to be with them. So where was he? Providence Knowing many of you and your story, this isn't unrelatable for us, right? We should remember the things that we have seen God do, but there are moments when it feels like the light is fading on those memories because we are experiencing immense suffering. Suffering is real. And this psalm gives us permission to experience suffering and to go to God with it, even as we reflect on all the amazing things we have seen him do. I mean, if you're anything like me, right, it becomes easy to just try to justify away the, the feelings you're having and say, no, God is good because he's done all these things, but not to actually deal with the suffering or the emotions you're experiencing right now. 
but God is giving us a category for which to come to him in this psalm of saying, yes, we, we remember and we praise you, God, for the things you have done, but right now, life sucks. And God is giving us permission to come to him in that way, in time of suffering. He doesn't want us just to recite some theology and mentally agree with some truths and mentally remember some of these things that have happened, but rather he wants us to engage with him with our whole being. That's how remembering the amazing things God has done and crying out in pain can happen at the same time. Providence, in light of the things I mentioned before, the things we ought to celebrate, the reality is many of us in here are in the throes of life and we do not feel like God is near. The first thing that came to mind is I talked about all the ways God had provided for us with a, a space to me, but man, I don't know about you, but we've been crying out to him to provide a building. And I've seen sister churches being given free buildings time and time again, but that's, I digress. God, where are you? I don't know. You're free building, free building. I, anyways, we have seen provision and resources and staff and salvation and disciples, but at the same time, there are people here, right, in, in our midst who are experiencing immense illness. And just as we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice, to praise God for the works that he has done, we are called also to mourn with those who mourn. And God also invites us to corporately call out and cry to him. There are people in here who are struggling with undiagnosed illness and immense pain because the doctors have no clue what's going on. They can't figure out what's going on with their body. They have not felt the healing hand of God. There are others who have struggled with and are still struggling with infertility. God says that children are a blessing, so why doesn't he bless them? There are others of us who, are, who have adult children who aren't walking with Jesus. God, what's going on? Providence, we have tasted the sweet hand of God, but we are no stranger to suffering in this place either. We cry out to God for all of these things, knowing that he's allowed them to happen, but not understanding why. Just as the psalmist is, is stating that he is, he is crediting their pain and their suffering to God. But as we suffer, as we suffer, we remain faithful because God gives us a future hope. As we suffer, we remain faithful because God gives us a future hope, which is the last truth we'll see here today, verses 17 through 26. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In the Old Testament, suffering often came as a result of the people of God's own sin. 
or corporate sin. But this time they're, they're claiming that they have been faithful to the covenant. Now they're not claiming that they've been sinless, but they're, they're claiming that, man, God, we have remembered what you've done. We are worshiping you and we have not turned to other gods. Because in the old covenant, it was expected that in order for the people of God to receive the blessing of God, they had to hold up their end of the deal. So oftentimes the understanding was that sin was the cause of suffering. But sometimes God has different purposes in their suffering, in allowing the suffering to happen. Verse 17, we see, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. They had remembered the things, right? Verse one through eight, they remembered the things God had done and they were praising him continually for them. Verse 18, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. They were being faithful to the things that God had called them to be faithful to. They were walking with him. Verse 20, we see, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? What they're saying is we have not, fall, we have not turned to a false idol. We have not turned to another God and started worshiping something else. So God, what is going on? We're worshiping you. We're not worshiping anything else. We're walking in the way that you've called us to. We remember you. We're praising you. We're worshiping you. Why are we going through the suffering? And in verse 22, he says, yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The people of God are being killed for the sake of their Lord. Their suffering was for the sake of God and they're declaring that they have remained faithful. And in this, do we, not, do we not relate with this? Are there not times when we experience suffering just because the world sucks sometimes? Because God has allowed it and we don't understand why things happen. We don't understand why death happens or disease happens or illness or why I'm still single or why I didn't get the promotion or why this is happening or why I have family drama. Whatever it is, we don't understand. We don't understand why God would allow some of these things to happen. And here they don't give us a reason. This psalm doesn't say why they're experiencing this. Sometimes we just don't know but I do think there's another way to walk through these points to, to actually give us a hope as Christians here. So I'm gonna walk through the points one more time real quickly. We have a present hope because God has been faithful. Christian, we are called to look back on the things God has done and we have a present hope because of God's faithfulness. You see, when we were far from God, when we wanted nothing to do with him, when we um, had no way to get to him, when all we wanted was our sin and when our eternity was hell and all hope was lost, God sent his son Jesus to earth to die on a cross for our sins and to raise him again on the third day. And Jesus, before he had done this, said all these things would happen and then he, he claimed to be God and then he backed it up by dying on a cross and coming back to life. This, Christian, the fact that Jesus walked out of the grave, this, Christian, gives us a present hope because we have seen God be faithful to the things he said he would do. However, though we have that hope, we live in what's called the already but the not yet, which means Jesus has come, but sin has not yet been eradicated. We have not experienced the full redemption that we will one day experience. So presently, suffering is real. Christ was not immune from the effects of suffering. In fact, he was called the man of sorrows because of how much suffering he had to go through. 
And because we still live in a fallen world, a world that has not been yet fully redeemed, we here will experience suffering. We walk through suffering and can cry out to God just as Christ did during his suffering. Jesus doesn't say, look, I went through it worse than you, so your problems don't matter. Actually, quite the opposite. Jesus delights to enter into that spot with you because he experienced it all. And he is able to empathize with us in times of suffering and weakness, and he delights to do so. Too often we play this comparison game like, oh, this person has it worse, so I shouldn't actually go to God with this thing that I'm dealing with. But Jesus wants to enter into that space. And as we allow Jesus into our suffering, we remain faithful because God gives us a future hope. Verse 22 in this psalm says, yet for your sake, we are, being, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, which is quoted in Romans 8. So I'm gonna go there and read that passage. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We remain faithful because God gives us a future hope. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, even in the darkest moments of suffering. We remain faithful amidst suffering because even though we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered in the eyes of the world, we, if we are Christians, cannot be separated from his love ever. The end, that is it. And because of that, we're called to remain faithful. But we're not faithful without a hope in what's to come. Can we be honest with ourselves and own that there are times of suffering when we don't remain faithful, right? When there are times when we're running, we run to things other than things of God because we want to find comfort immediately. Maybe when times get tough, you are more prone to just go binge watch Netflix and shut off everything going on in the world. Maybe you're more prone to gossip about that person because you just want to feel good about yourself because you're better, you think you're better than them. Or maybe you're more likely to go to that website and to justify it because you feel terrible and just want a momentary release. Maybe you run to food thinking that just eating your fa food from your favorite restaurant will make you feel better. Maybe you run to shopping or to social media, or maybe you just quite literally like to run from your suffering altogether by filling your life with fun things and not dealing with, actually, with God, what's actually going on in your life. Christian, these things will never, these things will never give you the hope and satisfaction you're looking for. 
Can I call us to remain faithful to the Lord in times of suffering because we do in fact have a future hope? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. I think there's a reason Paul used that psalm specifically in that passage. He gives us a future hope. And lastly, if you're in here and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have never bowed your knee to him, you've never accepted what he did on the cross, dying for the sins of man, and you've never bowed your knee to him saying, God, you can have control of my life, then what is true for you is that suffering will only get worse. Suffering will only get worse for you unless, unless you place your faith in this Jesus unless you place your faith in the work that he did for us, unless you believe that God has been faithful and that he will continue to be faithful because Jesus did in fact come, he did in fact die, and he will in fact come again to judge the living and the dead. So if you're in here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, would you today talk to someone you came with and consider that? Would you wrestle with, man, have I actually placed my faith in Jesus? Providence. Would we remain hope-filled and faithful in times of suffering because our God has been and always will be faithful? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a faithful God. I thank you that we, you give us categories for uh, experiencing suffering while also acknowledging the great and amazing things you have done. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who, who needs to simply remember the things you, were done, you have done in their life. Lord, today would you bring things to mind that as we go into singing um, worship, Lord, that they would think of those things and worship you all the more greatly because of them. Lord, for the people in here who are going through suffering, through immense things that they have no clue and they don't understand why they're going through them, Lord, would you just give them permission and would you help them to experience the freedom to go to you, to cry out to you in that place? And would we as a corporate body cry out to you with them? Lord, and most of all, in times of suffering, would you, would you grant us the power and the strength to remain faithful, faithful to you, because you have been faithful to us. We probably sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy